0: You're listening to Two Guys
1: Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Hello, Andre. How are you? I'm very good. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca.
0: I'm Michael Pincus from
1: MichaelPincusWineReview.com. And what are we doing today?
0: Come on, you know what we're doing today. I told you I had this great interview lined up and you could not make it. Actually, you left an hour before the interview started.
1: Actually, I don't think I was invited to the interview, but I couldn't have made it anyway.
0: I think I invited you two hours before the interview started. All
1: right, thanks for the afterthought.
0: So, yeah, I I got to talk with Miguel Torres Jr., and what, uh, well, people have. Gotta know who Torres is. Do yes. they not? Andre, you know who Torres is?
1: Yes, very well known
0: name. Good. And that's it? That's all you know is very well known name?
1: Well, I don't want to take away uh, the wind from your sails for this interview that we're about to hear. And we tra- tried uh, quite a bit of wine with him. So, uh,
0: oh, rub it uh, in guess, again. Why don't as you? As you always say, without further ado, let's get to this interview. Unfortunately, Andre is not with me, and, um, but I am excited to have Miguel Torres Jr. with me. And uh, Miguel, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Very nice to be with you.
0: And uh, we have wine in front of us, so I'm very happy about that. I always like uh, a podcast to have wine involved, not just talking about it. Uh, but I do have a very important question for you to start. What's it like being or living with an icon in the wine world?
2: Well, you know, uh, my my family has been making wine for a long time. Yes. 2020, it's going to be uh, 150 years. And uh, actually, uh, it is true that since since we are born, you know, uh, the, the, the way we live is always very close to the vineyards, and it's something that is good because we we happen to we happen to love this, this world. no, and it's and it's something important because I think that to, to understand wine well, is good when you really start uh, when you are young, when you can play there, when when you can uh, be with your friends close. To the vineyard so uh, for me it was a natural thing you know like uh, I, I always want to do this because I, this is also uh, where uh, what is my heart uh, you know in a certain way uh? this is what I like what I see since I was a kid and, uh, and it's kind of my mission in life you know, to continue with this.
0: You know, I've met your father before uh, it was a couple years ago he was in Toronto and it was really it was very engaging mm-hmm. so I can see that you are too and very uh, very passionate about wine So we have four wines that we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. uh, on the podcast. So which wine would you like to start with? Uh, Because you're very excited about this wine, so I'm going to let you introduce it. Yeah, well, we're going to taste uh, four different wines. The first
2: one uh, is a sparkling wine, and uh, I put it because uh, uh, for a long time, a lot of people have asked us when when, uh, the Torres family is going to make uh, a sparkling wine, so we finally did it, so we are going to talk about it. And then we're going to go through... Uh, three appellations, we're going to go through uh, Rioja, where we make Altos Ibericos, uh, it's a Crianza Rioja. Then we are going to go to the Priorato, uh, where we have our own vineyard and winery there, uh, with a wine called Salmos. Uh, this, this vintage was uh, still made by my sister. And then we're going to go to Masla Plana, 2012. That is maybe the wine that people know more about, all uh, my family, that is this Cabernet Sauvignon that uh, we started to plant the vineyards back in the 60s and uh, it really it has become like kind of uh, the the wine of the family
0: okay so we're looking at a sparkling wine this is the very first sparkling wine ever made by torres
2: yeah well it's uh, we it's the first sparkling wine made in spain uh we we made a small production of sparkling wine uh, in chile before where we learned about how to do with the method traditional so uh when i went back from chile to spain uh, with my sister, we said, well, you know, we uh, would really like to make a small production of a sparkling wine uh, in the Penedes. So uh, we selected uh, some of the best vineyards that we have, of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and also of a variety, a local variety called Charello, okay? So uh, Charello is used especially because it, it brings a very nice volume to the wine. And then, uh, well, these vineyards are all located in higher altitudes, because we're in a Mediterranean climate, and it's very important to to, to, be, uh, to have a certain altitude, so the temperature is lower. And we're looking for this uh, freshness and, uh, and for this acidity. Uh, as I said, it's made with a method traditional. Then it stays for about uh, 30 uh, months uh, in the bottle. And then, um, well, and then afterwards, it has no liquid expedition is a vintage wine, so we we did not want that, that the flavor to interfere with, uh, with more or less a standard product that can be like a licor expédition.
0: no? So you said this was a vintage wine? Yes,
2: it okay. is. And this is a 2013 vintage, actually.
0: Okay. So it's the inaugural vintage. Okay, so 30, 30 months on Lee, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and the other... Charello. Charello, okay. okay. It, has a,
2: it, it has a bit of a strange name. It's called... Bardon Kennet, which is not a very Spanish name, I have to say, Bardon Kennet. But the truth is that uh, this comes from a state that was uh, run by a British uh, person back in the 18th century called Daniel Bardon Kennet. And uh, and he's buried there, actually, in a Romanic chapel from the 12th century that is very beautiful. And we really wanted to pay tribute to this man that started to make wine there a long time ago. So would this be considered a cava?
0: or not a
2: Cava? No, it's, it's, it's not a Cava, really. Um, and, it, and it's not because we don't like Cava. I think that they are great great Cavas. But uh, now, our biggest challenge that we have in the wine industry is uh, climate change. So for us, it was very important to have the freedom to really select the vineyards that are in higher altitude, uh, whenever it's our choice to make the better wine. And and the problem is that the Cava Appellation uh, does not allow for the future certain vineyards, you know? So we we did not want to enter into a conflict. So basically, we we decide to have a more independent product, more uh, you know, more more free on that side. So it's not
0: a cava; it's just a sparkling wine. Okay, I'm going to give it a little taste here. We have two other people around the table who are tasting along with us. It's very lovely, very fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, is that coming to the um, Ontario market? Um,
2: not uh, not yet. This is uh, this is uh, on. Private order, okay. You, you may so. speak if
0: you like. It's okay.
2: <laughs> in private order, right? Yes. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, it's very lovely, very fresh. You got the nice lemon. All right. So you would also mention climate change, mm-hmm. and I know if Andre were here, he, you know, be all over that because it's one of his little uh, pet questions to ask. Pretty much every winemaker that we uh, interview is about climate change. How do you find climate change uh, affecting Spain?
2: Well, we we find that is uh, during the past 50 years in our wine region that the temperature has already rise around 1.5 degrees, okay, and that means that the that the harvest the picking of the grape is becoming more and more earlier. No? So this is this is becoming a problem, and uh, and this is not only happening in Spain. This is happening in France, in Italy. This is happening uh, all over the world. No? So um, for us. Uh, in 2008 we decided that as a family we wanted to really uh, you know fight about, uh, you know against the climate change you know? so we decided that, that we wanted to reduce our carbon footprint by 30 percent from 2008 to 2020 okay so we are we, we have been working on that investing a lot on on that and um, and it's key you know to to understand that you uh, the wines that we are making, that all the winemakers are doing in the world, if, if we don't change things in the vineyard and in the winemaker uh, or, or in the winemaking, they are not going to be the same ones uh, as the ones that we have today. You know, in 50 years, in 100 years, uh, the, the climate is going to change a lot. So it's very important to adapt now because uh, when you plant the vineyards, you know, a vine can, can can live for 60, 70 years, right? It's very important to take the right decision now. Ourself, uh, we are planting more and more in, uh, in higher altitudes, so we are even buying land in the Pyrenees Mountains, uh, in places where in the past it was impossible to get the uh, grapes ripe, now it's starting to ripe. So this opens also an opportunity to discover new, new places for wine making In the traditional places, we'll have to find varieties that uh, adapt uh, to these new temperatures. I can tell you that, for example, with my sister, we have been doing, uh, during the, the past decades, uh, uh, work to recuperate the ancient Catalan varieties, the ancient Spanish varieties that used to exist. And uh, we have recuperated close to 50 ancient varieties. And of those, there are five or six that, because of the acidity that they have, they have a great potential to make wine in warmer climates. Okay, so we are really choosing now the varieties that we're going to use for the future.
0: Excellent. So, speaking of different regions and areas, what's the next wine we're going to try? Well, the next wine is Altos
2: Ibericos. This is a, this is a project that the fifth generation started in La Rioja. You know that there are uh, there are three subpopulations in the Rioja. The Rioja Alavesa, the Rioja Alta, and the Rioja Baja. Uh, we're in the Rioja Alavesa, which is the one with higher altitude, okay? Because, you know, the, the, the style of the wines that we like in my family is, is more towards the freshness, uh, more towards having a better acidity. So the Rioja La Vesa and specifically, the town of La Bastida is the one that we like the most. No? Uh, this is a Crianza wine, and that means that it has uh, two years of aging. Of those two years, by, by law, it has to be at least one year in the oak barrel. we we always leave it there a little bit longer than that and then the rest of the time in the bottle and uh, in the 2014 vintage is a vintage that that to me is uh, it's a fresher vintage than other uh, other vintages that we could have in the Rioja like 2011 or one so it's 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 very fresh it has very good acidity Uh, it's a vintage that talks uh, a lot, you know, about the vineyards, about the freshness in the vineyards. You know, this
0: and, and what are the grape varieties that are in the wine?
2: Well, this 100% Tempranillo, 100% Tempranillo.
0: Tempranillo is a, is a king variety
2: in the Rioja. You can also find other varieties, but Tempranillo is, is the classic one there.
0: And what would you consider the the grape varieties of Spain, or is it just whatever region in Spain that you're in is whatever the grape variety is? Yeah, well,
2: you know, Spain is, is very rich in terms of different varieties and appellations, I have to say, yes, it too. Uh, Tempranillo, in, in terms of uh, red varieties, is still the king, with Garnacha, which is also a variety that is uh, becoming more and more popular. And, uh, and then, of course, in whites, you know, you, you can find Alvarinos, now you know, also have the Verde, of course. But, um, but I think that, you know, for, for the next years, we're going to see more and more varieties appearing. Uh, why? Because uh, I think that also in our appellations, they are discovering varieties that were maybe not so popular uh, in the past, but now there's the great, po- the, the great potential, like in Rioja, the Graciano, for example, no? or in, uh, in the Penedes, Charello is also uh, working better now. So I think things are changing, and uh, the, the spectrum of varieties in Spain is increasing
0: find it funny that um, your your family has made a, a real name for itself with uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to be talking a little bit later about the Mas La Plana. Yeah. Uh, um, and then you talk about all the other, you know, almost native grape varieties of Spain, yet you have made your name on that capsule. So, yeah, so we'll so have to perfect. talk about that a little bit, why that was a, was a choice made. As far as the Alto. Abiricos, what a wonderful, uh, food-friendly wine this is with great acidity uh, and the, uh, the cherry and the, uh, the dark fruit that comes through. Uh, this is just a, a lovely, lovely wine.
2: I think that the Rioja wines and, and Altos Abiricos shows this, you know, there, there has been a very positive evolution in the winemaking in Rioja. No? From uh, the, some, some years ago, some Rioja wines were very dominated by the wood, no? I think that more and more there's uh, more respect for the vineyard. So really, the, the, the grape, the, uh, the fruit, the acidity is coming more into the mouth, more than the wood that used to be in the yeah. Place. And I'm starting to
0: appreciate that because uh, you know having been doing you know writing about wine for many many years, uh, I always found that Rioja was a region that I didn't gravitate towards in Spain. I loved all other, all you know, those new regions because they, they just. Brought out fruit, mm. and Real Hot still seemed to be stuck in mm. that over long wood aging and just harsh kind of wines. But it's nice to see that there's a wine here with some some real fruit and some real food-friendly nature to it. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. moving right along to uh, Salmos, which uh, actually came out in vintages just recently, and I thought was a fabulous wine.
2: Salmos, uh, well, to, to me, I'm, I'm I'm really in love with this wine and with Wine region uh, for all those that haven't had the chance to go to the Priorato is a spectacular wine wine region in Catalonia, uh, quite close to Barcelona, and uh, it's a special because it has this slate soil, and uh, all the all the vines are planted in these uh, uh, very uh, you know slopes, you know, with a lot of inclination, uh, so it's very uh, much an heroic viticulture. Uh. So. Um, this, is, this one, in particular, is made with garnacha, with cariñena, and sida. These are three uh, very typical major and varieties. Uh, and most of the grapes that we use, uh, they are from our own vineyards. It's very important for us to, to control the quality. Uh, and uh, in 2014, was actually uh, also a fresher vintage in, uh, in uh, um, I, I have to say that from all the wine regions that we have in Catalonia, the 2014, the, the Priorat probably did the best wines, uh, more more than the Penedes or Conca de Barbera. So, again, a bit fresher style, you know, with very great acidity, which is great in a kind of wine that, by by itself, it has a very good body and very good consistency, so it balances the wine very well.
0: I find that there's um, a, a spiciness to this wine and almost like a, a minty quality. Is that found often in, in Spanish wines? Because I don't usually... Get mint, uh, but this has got a, especially on the nose, it's got a little bit of a like a spearmint or a mint. a little bit, yes, it's
2: it's it's maybe not
0: not so often.
2: Sometimes it's true that you can have this uh, a bit, especially in the in the Catalan wines, some Mediterranean character that uh, it can be kind of a dry balsamic that can be
0: a bit minty too, it can be there too. Yeah, this is uh, as I said, I tried this wine earlier at the vintage tasting. And I was just enthralled by this wine. I just love the, the richness of the red fruit, whereas the Ibirikos was, was more darker in fruit. This one is uh, just a, a lovely red cherry, uh, balsamic strawberries, a little bit of that mint. Uh, there's a lot going on in this in this bottle, for sure. So how many, how many acres of vineyard does the family own?
2: Well, now uh, you know, after five generations, I have to say because every single year we, we try to buy a little bit more, know, of the vineyards that we like. In Spain, we have around 2,000 hectares. I think in acres, so you have to multiply by two point something, you know. So
0: I hope we'll figure that, that out. <laughs> okay.
2: So um, so yeah, for, for for us, it's very very important to to have a large proportion of the grapes that we're going to use for our wine as our own vineyards. Because it's really the, the way that you can control the quality. We are very, uh, we are very vertical on that side.
0: And how many regions of Spain are you in? Are you growing grapes? Well, our our main region is always Catalonia
2: because this is our our main uh, land where, where we were born in Villa Franca del Benedes, as a, as a vine growers. But through through the time we uh, we also went to other appellations outside Catalonia. So we make wine in Rioja, in uh, in Rueda, in Ribera del Duero, and. Lately, in various uh, baixas too, in Galicia. Right? Okay. So, um, we we really are people that we we fall in love with uh, certain vineyards and certain places. So, uh, and also what is true is that every generation no, has its uh, has its own projects. No? So, it's a very old, old company. So, on that side, we're in different places in Spain. Yeah.
0: So, with each generation, you said they they have their own projects. For your generation, what is your project?
2: Well, uh, our our project uh, with my sister is uh, very much to maybe given even a bit more focus on Catalonia and on the wine regions where we are currently are. Uh, and, and and personally, there's one region that is the one that we were born in, the Penedès, right? Where uh, we would like to really recuperate the the ancestral Penedès that was there before the the phylloxera. The phylloxera, as you know, is a bug that really destroyed uh, very much uh, with the viticulture uh, in, uh, in large uh, places in Spain. But also in the Penedes, it changed a li- uh, you know, quite, quite a lot uh, the, the varieties that they were used and, uh, and the wines that afterwards were made. You know? So with this uh, project of recuperated ancestral varieties, we have found some autochthonous varieties from the Penedes. Uh, they have great acidity and they have a huge potential to, to make wine. You know? So we would like to go back to this uh, ancient Penedes before the phylloxera. And we are working with that, with pine growers, with our producers, because this is, this is a project that we cannot
0: do by ourselves. Now, before we move on to the iconic wine of, uh, of Torres, how many different grape varieties are you working
2: with? Uh, now uh, we will be working with approximately, uh, say, uh, 16,
0: 17 grape varieties. Now name them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm sure you could, actually. Um, so we're going to move on to to this, as I said, it's an icon wine. It's the Mas La Plana. Uh, first of all, um, what was the thought behind this wine? Why Cabernet Sauvignon, of all grapes, Spain, Spain has some, so many great, great varieties to call their own, and yet you took an international variety that is known uh, you know, for France, uh, California, but you took this and you said, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, in Spain. Well, you, when when you think about the Mas Plana, you,
2: you have to to go back to the past, you know, more or less during the 60s. And uh, on those times, uh, there was uh, there was a certain uh, trend around the world to experiment. In uh, Italy, they were also starting to plant Cabernet Sauvignon, and, uh, and in Spain, of course, yes, we we had the Garnacha, the Tempranillo, but 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 to be honest, with uh, with the technology of wine making that we had on those times, it was, uh, it was not clear that, that we could make a, a wines that really they could compete in, uh, in the palate taste and in quality with uh, other wines around the world. No? So so my father said, well, uh, why don't we start planting Cabernet Sauvignon here you know, uh, as an experiment? You know? Because if, if we achieve uh, to make a, Cabernet, a great Cabernet Sauvignon here, people will know that Spain is also a great country for, uh, for, uh, for red wines and uh, you know, it's because people around the world did not know about Tempranillo. They, they, they did not know about Garnacha, but they, they knew about Cabernet Sauvignon. So um, my father had a great friend that was called Juan Leon. And John Leon was actually the first one who, who planted Cabernet Sauvignon a couple of years before my father. And uh, and then my father would sell those uh, cuttings, he he planted mas la plana mas La plana is the single vineyard uh, that is the origin of this wine
0: and what is it, what do, is it does it have a meaning mas la plana? yes mass uh,
2: mass uh, mas is the is the name that we use in Catalonia to describe a, 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 a farmhouse okay uh, and plana is in the in the in the flat place okay so it's, it's a farmhouse in the flat place so um, well you, you can find a lot of masos Mas you know around Catalonia but this one in particular, my father loved, liked it very much because of the soils very much, uh, clay carry of soils, and in the bottom part it was a bit more alluvial, so he, he decided that it would work well. And then, well, he, he made the first uh, vintage with the majority of Cabernet Sauvignon on 1970. And, uh, and you can imagine that on those times, uh, it, was, it, was a bit of a, it was a bit of a scandal, no? Uh, to have someone making Cabernet Sauvignon in Spain, there was people, uh, that agree there was people that disagree very much no uh, even my grandfather uh, he was very against that he did not like the idea no? and in fact he always said well I, I don't like masa plana and there was a lot of discussions with my father no? it was a kind of a bitter moment in the family but then uh the my grandmother she she said to them well we, we have to stop this discussion why don't you show this wine into a blind tasting, uh, so that people can tell you if the wine is, is uh, good or is bad. And then uh, they they put this wine uh, in a blind tasting in 1979 in Paris. That was the Goldmill Olympiad du Vin, like the Wine Olympics of uh, Paris. You know? And um, uh, against all all odds, you know, the the French sommeliers they they decided that the best wine of the competition, uh, and, you know, against all the great for the wines was the master plana 1970 so it was uh, it was in the front covers in all the newspapers in uh, French, you know and and this showed us that that really was possible it was the first time actually that the spanish wine would would beat you know all the french wines in a competition so it showed to us but to many winemakers in spain that that we we could have the soils we we could have you know the the right place to make great wines Plana on that side is, is is very important to us, and show, show to us where we wanted to go. Now, of course, uh, talking about uh, more local varieties, now the technology that we have for, for winemaking, and also the experience that we have in the vineyard allow us to make uh, great Garnachas or great tempranillos and to and to show them this internationally. But back, back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, it was a different story, absolutely.
0: So it's it's a rags to riches story for Mas La Plana, really, brings the family, take, pulls them apart and then after so after it won, did Grandpa did Grandpa go, yeah I guess that's okay or did he kind of say, you paid them off or? or <laughs> yeah well my, my grandfather he was a great patriarch you know he, he
2: was uh, I think that my father had a bit of a tough time with with him. But uh, after uh, the awarding that in this competition, my grandfather uh, actually yeah, said, "Well, you know, actually this this wine, maybe the first bottle was was not so good, but this one is very good." You know? yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he he really liked it at the end. And, uh, yeah. He 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 was proud of
0: his son, too. Yeah. So uh, just to just to conclude, uh, you know, Torres, uh, a name that everybody recognizes on a bottle of wine. But I've also noticed you have things uh, like Jean what, what is is and, and the, the bottles don't usually, if I'm not mistaken, say Torres mm-hmm. on them? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, how many different lines of wine is Torres making, and then how many wines in total is mm-hmm. made through, throughout the company? Mm-hmm. Well,
2: Jalion, in particular, is, uh, is a wine that uh, we did not start to produce. It was a uh, was a man that uh, he was. Uh, he was a Spanish, uh, you know, guy that went to the United States, and then, uh, well, he, he decided to go back to Spain to plant some vineyards, and he also planted the Cabernet Sauvignon there, and uh, and he made wines that immediately became very famous in, in Spain, and because he was very close friend of my father, uh, at a certain point at the end of the life of Jean Leon, he wanted my father to continue with his winery, and, and we made the promise that that we would do that. We uh, we bought the winery and. That's why it's quite an independent project, aside from Togresno. Uh, when, when you look at, at uh, my family, we've gone uh, with all the wines that we're making, uh, we'll be making uh, around, uh, maybe in total, will be about uh, 50 something different wines, 55. But you have to count that we're also in Chile since 1979. And that, of course, you know, we are we have been in Spain for a long time.
0: Any uh, any plans to move outside of Chile and uh, Spain?
2: No, no, no. We we are not. Uh, we don't have any plan. And uh, actually, the the, the plans of, of me and my sister, the next generation, is to really focus more on the on the wines that we are doing. We 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 don't want to go outside Spain. Spain is is, is, is what we know. You know, we are we are very close, so we can go to the vineyards. Uh, I can. I'm only one hour far away from the Priorato. You know, I'm. Living This is what we like the most, and and if we want this to keep being a family company, we we have to be there. So every every single plan is decided by me, my sister, or my father, and uh, we are just not so many. So uh, for us, it doesn't have sense to expand more or to grow more. We, we uh, want to keep it as it is and keep making better wines. Thank you very much, Miguel. Thank you.
0: Andre, uh, I got to tell you, he—I've met his father before, as I mentioned in the interview, and uh, he is uh, junior is just as engaging as uh, as Papa is.
1: You know, I do love the fact that we're getting a chance to interview these um, multi generational people. Um, I don't know if we've got this coming up, but earlier I had a chance to interview uh, Aurelio Montes Senior, but I mean, it's just interesting to see how. Uh, I mean, the whole family is really involved in that, and hopefully, as the Ontario wine industry progresses, we'll get to see some of these uh, names and families continue as well.
0: Well, I, I hope we also get to speak to Aurelio Montes, Jr., whom uh, I have uh, talked to many a time, uh, and he's got all kinds of wonderful stories. So next time he's in town, let's, uh, let's see if we can rope him in. And if he's listening, we're, we're gunning for you, Aurelio.
1: all right well if you like this podcast you can leave a comment on itunes subscribe to it and uh as always i'm andre pru from andrewinereview.ca
0: i'm michael pinkus from michael i almost forgot who i was
1: well that's normal for you it's called a senior's moment no it's too much to drink don't forget what how you end it every time good night thanks for listening please subscribe to two guys talking wine on itunes